We continue in the, the subject of knowing God and knowing God through salvation. We've looked at many different areas of that. We're looking again at sanctification, progressive sanctification. It's not that we're going back again, but we are going back again because we looked at sanctification already. We looked at um, the where we're placed in Christ, and that's positional sanctification. When we become a Christian, then we looked at progressive sanctification. We went to Romans 6 that speaks about that and how we are and need to be progressively sanctified. And that's where we're going to further look at this morning. Because that's the one that affects us. That's where the rubber meets the road in the Christian life. And then there's permanent sanctification. That's when we're glorified. And that's another subject that we will be looking at in knowing God. And uh, we will see him and we will know him on that day. But this morning, looking at sanctification again. And if you've got your bulletin, there you find the order of service. You've got the outline there that you might like to follow in and, and fill out. Now, <clears throat> this one may tread on your toes this morning. If you look through the areas of sanctification, we live in a world that's going downhill morally. <laughs> and it's sometimes the Christians just following a little bit behind and what the world used to do we're now doing and that shouldn't be the case uh, we just don't do that <laughs> that's wrong it was wrong then when they were doing it and we were saying it's wrong and it's still wrong <laughs> and so the we're looking at the agents of sanctification and the areas of sanctification and the after effects of sanctification this morning let's pray dear lord thank you for the truth of your word and how it sets us free from our sin but not free to sin. Lord, we do pray that we would not presume upon the grace of the Lord, of yourself, and do despite to the spirit of grace by doing that which displeases you. And Lord, we have just celebrated your table and that we ought to be drawn near to you and want to know what it is you want us to do. And Lord, bring us to that point today. If there is some area of conviction that we wouldn't get mad, but we would be saddened from our disbelief and our disobedience and gladdened as we get things right with you. Lord, bless those that cannot be here. Uh, give safety to those that are traveling from faraway places and bring them home safely. Lord, for those that aren't well, that you'd be with them and we commit to... To you today, the Philby family, the boys and dad, at this time of loss and grief and pain, and Lord, the realisation of it will not really set in, but as time goes on, it will. Lord, we, we know that death is a parting, it's a separation, and it's painful, and we do pray for them, that they might be drawn to you. And bless us now in this morning service, in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> the agents of sanctification. Well, <clears throat> the whole Trinity, God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, 
are involved in it. In our morning class, in the adult class, we looked at Arianism and things that Troy was speaking about there. And the debate way back in the early church is, is Jesus God or was he created? He's, you see, people say that he was created by God the Father, only begotten. And there's a whole group of people that get around knocking on our doors that declare that, and they're called Jehovah's Witnesses. And they say he was only begotten, therefore he was created. They've gone back and changed that which was said in concrete way back at the what, 325 um, in, in church time, uh, <coughs> trying to change it back. The, 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 Satan's not very inventive, is he? <laughs> he comes up with the old, the old things again and again. <laughs> and he, he's done that and doing that today. But the Trinity is involved in our sanctification. All persons of the Trinity are involved. Um, <clears throat> as the believers are as well, in positional sanctification or progressive sanctification and, um, and positional. Um, the Holy Spirit, it says in Second Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 13, God hath from the beginning chosen you to salvation through sanctification of the Spirit and belief of the truth. The Spirit and God the Father are mentioned there. Christ's death is the basis for our sanctification. It tells us in Hebrews 10.10, by which will we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And the Father is involved, Spirit, Son and Father in our sanctification. It tells us in 1 Thessalonians 5.23, and the very God of peace sanctify you wholly, and I pray God your whole Spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless under the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So the Trinity is involved in our sanctification. The truth is involved as we looked at John 17. There's a wonderful passage there that the Lord is saying there that we be set apart. Sanctification is just taking from one position, putting in another position, and setting apart. Um, we might dedicate or sanctify something in our lives for a particular use and purpose. God takes us and sets us apart, uh, apart for a particular purpose, <laughs> that we might glorify him. <laughs> and in John seventeen seventeen, they are not of this world, even as I am not of this world. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. So the truth sanctifies us or sets us apart, makes us different. The truth of God's word, the Bible, as an indispensable foundation and book, that we need to read. Why is the world all going haywire? Why is it governments passing moral laws? You know, the church has forsaken the truth. They're not teaching the Bible anymore. It's up to Christians to say what's right and wrong through the word that has been given to us. We are the ones that have the truth and ought to disseminate that. And, it, you know, we're the salt and the light of the world. A city that's set on a hill. We ought to be given light to the world. Christ's death also, <clears throat> as we've mentioned already. But here again in John seventeen nineteen, And for their sakes I sanctify myself that they might also be sanctified through the truth. Christ's death and it was going to come not long after he said those verses. That was within the last week of the Lord's life. Um, <clears throat> The Holy Spirit, as we've mentioned before, 
sanctifies us, 2 Corinthians 3.18. But we all with open face behold in the, as in a glass the glory of the Lord are changed into the same image from glory to glory even as by the Spirit of the Lord. As he convicts us and changes us, our thinking and our behaviour that we might be more like the Lord from glory to glory. And so the Holy Spirit. Now the areas, I want to get to this one. The areas of sanctification. The believer must faithfully discharge our, res- our responsibilities in sanctification. We are to present ourselves, as Paul said in Romans 12 too, as a living sacrifice. Slaves to righteousness. <laughs> and we see the results of sanctification are wonderful. As you read through John, I mean Romans 6 that we closed the last session on, on sanctification. But let's think of some practical areas. These are some practical pointers to sanctification, for progressive sanctification. That's in the outline there at the, at the top of it. It gets pretty practical, you know. <laughs> the first one there, it starts with A, is our appetite. You say, that has to do with sanctification? Yeah. What are some things you could eat or drink that are not for the Christian to do so. Alcohol. Alcohol. Yep. Drugs. Things of that nature. Listen to what the Bible says. <laughs> and we won't turn there because we've got a very short period of time to, to do the sermon today. But Proverbs 23 verses 1 to 3 says, Put a knife to thy throat if you're a man given to appetite. What does that mean? Gluttony. So if you love to, to dine as a king at a table with all the chickens and turkeys and everything else, it's sort of saying, hey, get away from it. And gluttony is something that we need to watch as, a, as Christians. In Philippians chapter 3 and verse 19, it warns of those people there whose God is their belly. That's what they live for. And as far as Christians are concerned, that's not what we live for. We eat to live. We don't live to eat. That's the way I put it. And um, it's it's wonderful what God provides. I mean, look at the supermarkets now. I don't know if our shelves are going to ever be uh, denuded of all the good things that are on the shelves, but... When we came to Albury, there certainly wasn't the goodies on the shelf that there is now. What what frustrates me when I go to get something at the supermarket is there's a variety of a hundred sorts now. You know, you just didn't have wheat, wheaties and cornies and whatever. There's all the other in-betweens and you get confused when you go to the supermarket. We've got so much and it's so easy to be given to the belly. And be careful about that. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 13, it says, Meats for the belly and the belly for meats, but God shall destroy both it and them. This will all be gone. We won't have to eat in eternity, although we can. According, well, Lord, the Lord did after he had a glorified body, but, you know, <clears throat> meats for the belly, the belly for meats. It keeps us alive. But how much do we need to sustain our physical strength? I like what it says in Titus 1 verse 13. It talked about the Cretans. 
lazy gluttons, slow bellies. <laughs> I mean, the Bible is very descriptive on that. So careful on the appetite. And then, as someone said about the alcoholic thing, Proverbs 23, 29 to 35 speaks. There's many passages in Proverbs that speak of it, but it says, Look not upon the wine when it moveth itself aright in the cup when it's fermented. That's it. And the wine can be used interchangeably in, 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 the, New Test and in the Bible, but mostly it's referring to grape juice. Freshly, freshly squeezed, squeezed grapes. And you can know by the context. There it's talking about alcoholic because it's, it's bubbly. It's rising a right in the cup. Look not upon it. Don't get... <coughs> Brother Brunken, when do you start getting drunk? <coughs> the very first glass. <laughs> and that's what he said from when he got saved. <laughs> and that's when you start, so don't start. And um, <clears throat> don't get hoodwinked by it. The appetite. Let's watch it. God has given us all things richly to enjoy, but not to gluttonize in. The next one is another touchy subject. <laughs> Adornment. Adornment. <clears throat> Let's turn to 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 9. What's adornment? Well, the clothes that we wear. Who owns the fashion industry? Who designs the clothes that they try to sell? Are they Christians? No. Who's, the, who, who, who's behind the rag trade, as we could say? <clears throat> With what is being put out today, you say, well, it's certainly not the Lord that's behind that. Do you find it hard to find something decent to wear? It is getting that way for the ladies, particularly. Chapter 2 and verse 9. In like manner also, the women adorn themselves in modest apparel, with shamefacedness and sobriety, not with broidered hair or gold or pearls or costly array, but which becometh women professing godliness with good works. So, Yes, as Christians, in the sanctification area, we are to watch what we wear. <clears throat> as I've said it before, ladies, if unsaved men take a second look at you because of the way you're not dressed, you know what I mean? Skimpily or whatever, or tightly or what, then you'll surely be causing an offence and someone to sin. Because the Bible clearly states that a man looks on a woman to lust after her. You see, it's the look of a man, but it's the dress of a woman that can cause a problem in adultery in the heart. That's what it says. See, this is practical sanctification. We're setting apart. God wants us to be his holy people. If you say clothing doesn't matter, well, look in the Old Testament and see what God laid down for the priests, for the godly people. The ones to set the example. It was ordered and it was right and it covered up. Today, we, it seems society wants to uncover. It doesn't talk in Proverbs 7 verses 5 to 11 about the attire or adornment of a harlot for nothing. That means that harlots wear certain sort of clothes to attract a certain sort of attention. 
and they, they put it on. Or don't put it on. And that, the Bible says, is not right for ladies to do and for men to look. You know, both as guilty as each other. So this is areas of sanctification, our appetite, our adornment. And uh, thirdly, there we have our amusements. Amusements, our entertainment. Our world has been entertained to death while, the, the, while it's racing to hell. That's what's happening. We've been distracted from the reality of life. Right. We've been removed from death. Uh, the thought of death and dying, uh, it's, it's coming. <laughs> it comes to each one of us. Um, <clears throat> what if I said, I saw you musing the other day? Now, I'll talk about sheep. <laughs> muse. What do you do when you muse? <laughs> Meditate. Musing is meditating. To think. And there are people that think. Christians should think. <laughs> so that, but think. You know, when the children do something silly, you say, didn't you think? You know, did, did, did something that hurt them. <laughs> didn't you think? No, <laughs> that's why. <laughs> you hurt yourself. But A, muse. If you put A in front of a word, it's given the negative. It's don't muse. A, muse is don't muse. Don't meditate. Don't think. And we've got a society that is geared to amusement, not thinking, not meditating. What is it that causes us not to think? What are the things that are used in our society to make us not think? What, what are you amused by? What is it that keeps your attention? The television. <laughs> the television. What else goes along with all that? Video games, videos, movies, computers, internet, sports, phones. Phones are the big one now because they involve almost all of the other, all the above. <laughs> and you've got to be careful not to be amused by them. Now, I'm not saying throw them all out. What I'm saying is use them with discretion. Don't be amused by the world. God wants us to think and to meditate upon him. So with all, almost all of the entertainment these days, someone else is doing the thinking. And with the repetition use of these things and these items, we can be programmed to think like them. And God does not want us to think like the world. He doesn't want us to be amused by it. He wants us to amuse and meditate. Do you... Read the Psalms. Did David have a television? <laughs> we all know that. An internet? Uh, a f mobile phone? What, what was he doing before he became king? And that's why God chose him to be the king, by the way. He was looking after sheep. You say, what a boring job. Sorry, sh shepherds. <laughs> shepherds. I say. <laughs> oh, <laughs> Chris too. <laughs> It's a good job if you're out in the paddock all night with them. And you're musing upon the creation and handiwork of God. You're looking around. You're thinking about these things. You're meditating upon them. And, and he was responsible for writing half the books, the, the, the chapters of the books of Psalms. 
Why? Because he mused and meditated upon God. And he thought through things. What is the result of this? You know, where does this lead? What's all that about? <clears throat> what are you thinking about? What do you think about in your spare time as you muse? Or do you want to be entertained? And even the unsafe people are realising there's a problem, like with the phones. And uh, they bag them up or, or forbid them to be brought to certain schools now. And I think Victoria is saying that out of the school with the phones. Let's see the detrimental effect it has upon the young people. <clears throat> Philippians chapter 4 and verse 8. All this has to do with thinking, musing, meditating. Philippians 4 and verse 8. Young people, don't be taken in by it. Do your own thinking. Be creative. We didn't have a television in our house till I was 19 and I was out to work, so didn't, didn't have time. <laughs> but we were creative. I learned to weld. I learned to use lathes. I used, all those things. Well, you say, oh, yeah, you had a privilege of being on a place where all those things were. <laughs> but if, if your heart's that way, the Lord will provide and open doors for that. Um, <clears throat> We learnt so many things before I started an apprenticeship as a turner fitter to do all those things anyway. And uh, I wasn't being amused and taken up by these things. Here Paul said in verse 8 to 4, Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are honest, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, Whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, what does it say? Think on these things. Muse on these things. Ah, I think that is a big area we need to take care of in our sanctification. Because if we get enamored by it and taken in by it, it's like the fishing line with the, the kids, the story. You know, there's, a, there's bait on the end of the hook and it's Satan has put it there. He wants to reel you in and to make you ineffective in your Christian life. You get into reading the Bible. You didn't have television. I had a Bible. I had all these Christian books in the home. And I was studying doctrine when I was only 14. Just reading through books after books and comparing Scripture with Scripture. And it puts you in good stead later on in life. <laughs> As a, actually, when, when I went to Bible college, they didn't so much teach. They taught doctrine, but not what I learnt. I knew that doctrine before I got there was a how-to of applying that and, and putting it together that I learned at Bible college, more so than the doctrine. And others who hadn't had the privilege of a Christian background had to learn the doctrine and the, and the how-to use and put the truth together. But 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5 says, Casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. That's believers, as we meditate, we bring into captivity every thought. Now you say, that's pretty demanding. It is. That's what God said. That's what God wants of his children, to bring into captivity the thoughts. Don't let them wander. When do your thoughts probably wander the most? When you sit down to pray. 
and off goes your thoughts. And you say, what, where am I now? Oh, what, what was I doing? Oh, I was praying. to, And, 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 and God's still listening, but I've stopped talking to him. <laughs> yeah, I know you know because you're smiling. <laughs> Not most of you. <laughs> you know the experience of that. <clears throat> Bringing it in and disciplining the mind to make it think. People with disciplined minds invent if disciplines minds, they think on eternity and think on these things, as Paul said there in Philippians. In Proverbs chapter 23, verse 7, <clears throat> For as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. So what you're thinking about is what you really are, not what you show us to be as you come to church. So what are you thinking about? <laughs> Ezekiel Chapter 8 and verse 12. Son of man, hast thou seen what the ancients do in the house of Israel? In, in the dark, every man in the chambers of his imaginary. For they say, the Lord seeth us not. You know, I can think this, but the Lord doesn't know I'm thinking it. <laughs> you got something coming. Because God does know what we think. And the... And he, the prophet Ezekiel is being told look at their saying or thinking in their imaginary for they say the Lord seeth us not the Lord hath forsaken the earth Ah, he's not he's still recording the things you think that's scary isn't it God knows what we're thinking even while the Lord was down here on earth he perceived what they were thinking and he knew what they were thinking and he gave an answer before they even asked the question to many things. And so amusements. Uh, I knew it. <clears throat> I think we'll have to finish this another day. <laughs> Just write them down. Attitudes is the fourth one. Attitudes. While reading through the Gospels, how many times do you think, or do you read, he knew their thoughts? The older brother, the sanctimonious sinner. You know, I have stayed home and I've been a good son to you, Dad. Why are you giving a party for my brother who went and spent all the money in riotous living? And he thought he was so right, but he was so wrong. <laughs> attitude. Uh, <clears throat> I said once, attitude determines altitude. And a, a pilot, a person who trained as a pilot said, that's right. The attitude you set the plane at is determines the altitude you go to. And so it is in the Christian life. Our attitudes determine our altitude. And the attitude is something that you've got, I've got in ministry or in service for the Lord or in general life. You know, you, you say to somebody, you've got an attitude and it's not good. <laughs> you know, they know what you mean. You know what they, you, you've just said. And uh, you might say to your children, you've got an attitude. You, you're doing the dishes, but you want to break every one of them. <laughs> I've seen that happen. <laughs> and it's almost comical, if it wasn't so serious, that they actually broke them because they were, had a bad attitude. But anyway, we have attitude. And what is our attitude toward the Lord when, when he brings things that aren't as pleasing as we'd like? I'll do it but with objection, <laughs> under duress. Att attachments is the fifth one there. Attachments. 
Be ye not unequally yoked together. I, I thought I should bring the shepherds to bring a yoke in. You, you probably got a yoke in the shed there with all the other old things that have been kept. But, uh, <clears throat> and say, harness Tony up with um, little Sam or someone and, 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 and yoke them together and say, you know, now, now pull this plough. It wouldn't work, would it? <laughs> Unequal. Tony's big, Sam's small. <laughs> now he might grow big. <laughs> but unequal the yoke, it doesn't work. How can you be yoked with an unbeliever and say that is what God wants? And that yoke can come in areas of our life. What are the areas? The big one is marriage, isn't it? And it'll yoke with an unsafe person. Or a person doesn't believe what you believe. In, our marriage, in the marriage counselling I do now, I'm getting more pointed about that. Do you believe the same thing? Because in Christian circles now, there's all sorts of beliefs and, her and heresies, Troy, huh, that are going around. And you need to be on the same page to make the marriage work. Um, business, unequally yoked in business. And people have found out the hard way huh, are going in unequally yoked together and it costs them a lot financially, mentally too, <laughs> stress and things. Attachments, unequally yoked together with unbelievers, uh, 2 Corinthians 6.14, 1 Corinthians 6, 16-18. Joined together, it uses the word there, joined together. And we shouldn't be joined with those that are not of the same mind. 1 Corinthians 10. It, notice a lot of these references are from Corinthians. Why? <laughs> Corinthians were doing it all wrong. It, we read in the passage, our reading this morning, chapter 5, there that... <clears throat> Are ye not carnal? They were acting like non-Christians, in other words. There was divisions and contentions about who they followed on that. And other text in Corinthians tells us where they were off on other areas as well. <clears throat> what about who we fellowship with? And I was thinking of this when Troy was doing the class this morning. There. Uh, <clears throat> When should you separate from an heretic? What is an heretic? You know, that was, if you want to know, come to the morning uh, Sunday school hour. The adults have been going through that this morning on, on heresy. Heresy is anything that is contrary to what? The Word of God. Well, that's your interpretation. <laughs> you know, that's what they'll say about scriptures. But <clears throat> when should we separate? You know, there's some, there's a lot of, when Troy was saying that, I was just, no, I won't say anything. I get my turn in the morning service. <laughs> He's asked all those questions and you say, <laughs> you want to answer. And it was good to see the participation of the class today there. But there are so many things. And, and I thought through as he was saying that, asking that question, what heresies have we had to face as a church? And I think back 45, 42 years ago, and there were heresies there that were being introduced in the first big one. And I went down to Pastor's Fellowship and I didn't tell them names. I said, this is what is being taught. And uh, 
No, they said, no, that's not right. And a round peg doesn't fit in a, a square peg doesn't fit in a round hole. And they were saying things like this, as pastor, we'll pray for you. Uh, you need to do some more too. There's <laughs> some practical support. But, you know, it was here and it was... And, and as Troy said this morning, he doesn't know about the situation. But it was just before he's up here for a long time. <laughs> and he, the, they get a hold of people and they take them and people were... When, and visitors were coming to church. Now, a lot of visitors coming in that, those days. And, and the people that had this heresy would grab them and invite them to lunch before you could say, now, hello. <laughs> and they'd take them home and, they'd, and all they'd talk about is the heresy. They wouldn't talk about the gospel. As I told someone the other day that's closely related to me, I said, stop talking about that. Talk about the Lord Jesus Christ and the gospel that will save the sinner. Don't tell them about this and that and the other and all these strange ideas. Tell them about the truth of the gospel. That's what God wants us to do. Satan wants to sidetrack us into heresies, attachments. Who are we tying ourselves with? Grievous wolves, heretics, Titus 3.10. Grievous wolves, Acts 20. Demons, 2 Corinthians 11.13-15, who are masquerading as angels of light. Dictators like Diotrephes, and I'm sorry to say, but there are in independent Baptist churches those that dictate and don't invite folks to walk the narrow way. You know, we need to take a good look at ourselves that we're not doing that. And that's in Third John, the whole chapter, the whole book is about that. So <clears throat> attachments. At attainments is number six. We won't even touch it. <laughs> Attributes. Our time is gone. <laughs> what things are there that we have as humans that animals don't have? We have speech. They do hear, but we can hear and think through these things. That's why we're different to all the other living things on earth and God has created us in his image we can touch we can see we can taste we can handle but sanctification in these areas is necessary and I think you can say yeah, speech what can we say that's wrong we can say an awful lot that's wrong can't we we can hear things that are wrong we can touch things that are wrong Now, when you think of these areas that we've really just mentioned today, are we being sanctified? The world is trying to drag us in and down. God wants us to be his people, wholly set apart for him. You say you're going too far, Pastor. We have to live in the world. <laughs> yeah, you're in it, but not of it you're in it but not of it and so let us be very careful that we're pleasing the lord and not pleasing ourselves and then i was going to mention the other side of the coin is we can masquerade as as spiritual people like the pharisees they had a pseudo sanctification <laughs> it was all about the outside they looked apart they acted the part, but that was pseudo, it was a false sanctification, a, a, a false separation from the world. It was a man separation. 
And that's where main, many, many, I'm going to say mainline churches are at. Masquerading as spiritual and they're not spiritual at all. Nothing's happened inside. And that's a pseudo-sanctification. And that's, that's who really cried for Christ to be crucified. They, the one, they're the ones. And they're the decept- <coughs> very deceptive ones. And many people will be in eternal punishment and hell because they were deceived by pseudo-sanctifiers. Looked the real thing. Stained glass windows. High steeples. Few peoples. Downtown churches. As someone said years ago. But it's nothing to do with Christianity. The Christians were out in caves, being hunted and hounded around, while these places and edifices were being built by the church. You know what I mean? And, and so it is, and it's come upon us at the end of the ages that that's what it is. Be careful. Watch out. God wants a separated people, but he wants us to stay in the world but not to be of the world. And that's the balance we need to maintain in our Christian life. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you, Lord, that you tell us we are holy, sanctified and separated unto yourselves. We should be. But in our progressive sanctification, in becoming more like you, Lord, we fail many times. Forgive us that we might get back on the track in line with what you want in our lives. We are not our own. We're brought with a price. We're to glorify God in our bodies. That has been told to us by yourself, in your word. And may we be so. Lord, And if there's someone here that's not a Christian, this is a message for Christians today, but Lord, may they realize that they are separated from God by this, their plain sinfulness, being born a sinner as we all were, and they need to trust the Lord Jesus to be saved. And may they do that and then become a saint in the making from glory to glory, walking on toward heaven. Bless now as we part and help us to think and muse upon these things. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.